Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis about the peace, provision, and blessing that Melchizedek brought to Abraham, unlike what was brought by the king of Sodom. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org and on iTunes. We want to thank you for your listenership and support of the Friendship with God radio program this past year. We do want to encourage you to give towards the Friendship with God radio program as this year ends. Remember, we reach millions of people with the gospel, not just on the airways through the Friendship with God radio program. We reach millions of people door-to-door through Israel Restoration Ministries. We reach lost Jewish people as well as Gentiles with the gospel. We want to encourage you to support this ministry. Now, not a lot of radio programs have any type of outreach that go door-to-door. This is a unique ministry. This is a unique radio program. This is a unique Bible teacher with Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries. We want to encourage you to support this radio program and continue the gospel going out. And so we want to have you call us today with your 100% tax-deductible donation. 100% of it will go towards keeping this program on this station in this city, as well as 100% of it will go towards a matching donation towards Israel Restoration Ministries. So really, for every dollar you give, it's a $2 donation. So we want to encourage you to support us today with getting the gospel out. We have hundreds of missionaries, full and part-time, that go out and Go door-to-door and get the gospel out to Jewish people as well as Gentiles. Help support this ministry, 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org, that's friendshipwithgod.org, to donate online. Now, again, you can call us now or after the show at 1-800-247-3051. But here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching program on Melchizedek from the book of Genesis. And kid David, king of Israel, taught us that peace, the peace of God, is a blessing that God gives. In Psalm 29, 11, the Lord, the Lord will bless his people with peace. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself told us that this peace of God is something that he gives, and it's his peace. It's the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So after we have peace with God, and God gives us that peace, peace with God, and God gives us the peace of God, then that peace of God stands as a guard, a garrison over our hearts, where it says in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which passes understanding, shall keep or garrison your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So a little Melchizedek is a king of peace who's saved, has the peace of God, and helps others to be saved and make peace with God. And then a little Melchizedek helps them then receive the peace of God. Now, next thing we see here in verse 18, we learned about this from, is that this little Melchizedek was bringing a boost of encouragement because he said he brought forth bread and wine. Now, I know a lot of people try to read into the bread and wine, especially brethren persuasion, that maybe Melchizedek set up a little table with the elements out there in the valley and had a real breaking of the bread, and maybe all the women covered their heads, I don't know. But since we're not reading between the lines, let's just look at it on the surface. The man was exhausted. He was tired, so feed him already. (laughs) That's what he did. He feed him. He encouraged him by taking food. That's my problem. I take in too much encouragement. <laughs> a few years back when I was in the hospital with my cancer, and I was on high doses of steroids, and some dear people came to visit me, 
and they asked me, what can we do for you? What do you want? What can we bring you? And I said, Snickers, Snicker bars, you know, <laughs> and I hid those Snickers under from the nurses, you know. Well, one thing about steroids is that they make your sugar not controllable, see? So my blood sugar shot way up, and, you know, you can't have sugar when you're on steroids. Uh, but anyway, and, and the nurses come running in the room with the insulin, and they were saying, Mr. Cantor, your sugar is way too high. And I told them, no, no, no. I said, I just proved the truth of what the Bible says in Numbers 32, 23, and be sure your Snickers will find you out. <laughs> anyway, but Melchizedek could see that before anything else, Abraham needed bread and wine. He was, he was just hungry and thirsty. All right. Next, it says that he, the next thing we can learn about how we can be a little Melchizedek is stated in verse 18, that he was the priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek's job, his goal, his, he, when he looked at himself, he said, I am a priest. I do the work of a priest. That was Melchizedek's life work. He wanted to be an effective priest of God. A priest is a person who represents people to God, whereas a prophet is the person who represents God to the people. The work of a priest is to pray. That's what the priest does. And when you look at what Melchizedek is doing in verses 19 and 20, those are the words of his prayer. That's what he's praying. He's praying to God. And so to be a little Melchizedek means that we have to be a priest. We have to be all about being a priest. People of prayer, we have to know how to pray. Not liturgically in vain repetition of Christianese, but what the Bible calls fervent prayer passionate prayer from the heart. We have to know how to engage the need of man with God's Bible, with God's scriptures. Now, verse 19, and the next thing we learn about how to be alone Melchizedek is what Melchizedek did. It says here, he blessed him, 19 and 20, and he said, blessed be Abraham, the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed, blessed be the most high God, which had delivered thine enemies in thine hand, and he gave him tithes of all. So what Melchizedek did was to bless Abraham. And if we're going to be a little, little Melchizedek, we need to know how to bless people. And a conversation, with to be a little Melchizedek, and to have a conversation with another one, is going to bless someone, whether that conversation takes place with a visit or a phone call, it doesn't matter, if it goes in a direction other than, so how are you doing? Okay? That, that, if that's the end all of the conversation, that's not going to be a blessing. But Melchizedek shows us how to manage the conversation to become a blessing. Because to bless Abraham, Melchizedek is not saying to Abraham, so how are you doing, Abraham? To bless Abraham, Melchizedek is managing the conversation so that the topic is all about God. And Melchizedek is talking about the following topics. Verse 19, topic number one, Abraham's blessing comes only from God. Verse 19, topic number two, that the God who blesses Abraham is the most high God. Topic number three in verse 19, that the God who blesses Abraham is the possessor of heaven and earth. And topic number four in verse 20, that the most high God who blessed Abraham and delivered Abraham's enemies into his own hand. And those are the topics of the conversation. And that's a blessing. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham by managing the conversation and talking to Abraham about God. And that's what God wants to see in our conversations. And time's a little short, so I'm going to just quote it for you in Malachi 3.16, where it says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him. 
for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. See, in that verse, believers who were speaking to each other were called those that feared the Lord. And then it says that God was monitoring. See, every problem with the NSA? <laughs> God monitors all the conversations, as he does here. That was supposed to be funny. Nobody really, I mean, it doesn't matter. All right. It says the Lord hearkened. He heard it. And God was so happy with what he heard that they were talking about, he decided to do what my wife does. You know what my wife does? When, when she talks to somebody on the phone, you can't see her, but she gets a notebook out. She takes notes. Anyway. God was so happy with what the believers were talking about that he told his angels, go get a book and be like my wife. He says, go get a book, write down what they are talking about. And God then gave the book a a name called the Book of Remembrance. And God liked it so much, what those believers were talking about, that he wanted that the Book of Remembrance should be written down right in front of him, before him. And the key to what those believers were talking about was found in the last part of that verse where it says, they thought upon his name. They thought upon his name. Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So their heart was filled with thinking about the name of God. And so to be a little Melchizedek and bless others, our hearts have to be filled with thoughts about God. We got to have all, we got to have something cooking on all four burners of our heart. Something cooking on all four. And in the morning during the wonderful time when we open both our Bibles and our heart before God to receive, that should be the time when food goes on, the four burners of the heart. It's all cooking away. And we're thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about him. And when we talk about him, we bless others. That's how Melchizedek blessed Abraham, by talking about God. And that's how we bless others as the little Melchizedek's by talking about God. But Melchizedek applied some very specific ointment to Abraham's aching heart. We know that Abraham was subject to fear. We know he was afraid of Pharaoh. Later on, he's going to be afraid of Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. Abraham has this issue. But Abraham, maybe Abraham was also thinking about, you know, it's one thing to go conquer them on the surprise, but what if those kings regrouped themselves in Syria? I didn't exactly make friends with them, and they come after me. We don't know. So the first ointment or medicine that Melchizedek applies to Abraham's heart is an emphasis of how God is the Most High God. Notice how twice Melchizedek emphasized to Abraham in verses 19 and 20 that God was the Most High God. And by saying that to Abraham, Melchizedek was saying to Abraham to take his eyes off the kings who seemed so high to him. And he's saying to Abraham, instead put your eyes on the Most High God. And furthermore, we learned from verse 22 that Abraham, we wouldn't know this, but we learned in verse 22 that Abraham lifted up his hands to God. He had already done this. Abraham already made a vow to God. He was going to give everything he recovered back to the king of Sodom. And so naturally, Abraham's heart is feeling a little empty with that. I mean, he has nothing to show. He's carried all this stuff back from Syria across the country. And now he has to watch the king of of sin, take it all. But one minute he has all the possessions, next minute because of his vow he has none of the possessions, and so he's feeling the loss of the possessions. So Melchizedek then applies a little special ointment medicine to Abraham's heart, and at the end of verse 19, Melchizedek calls God the possessor. You worried about your possessions, Abraham? God is the possessor of heaven and earth. Abraham really needed that word. It was a perfect word for Abraham. It, the empty way that Abraham was feeling at that time was seeing all the, he, his possessions that he had brought back, carried with, back, risked his life for. 
He really needed to hear that God was the possessor of heaven and earth. So when Melchizedek says that to Abraham, Melchizedek had this, had this gift that he could say that. He had a wonderful gift. In Isaiah 54, where it says, The Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season. To him that is weary, he wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. And while Melchizedek emphasized to Abraham that God was the possessor of heaven and earth, that was Melchizedek having the word in season to Abraham. The word in season to him that was weary, otherwise known as Abraham. Where do we get the word in season for him that is weary? By letting God waken us morning by morning to hear as the learned. Where? In our morning quiet times. God may give us a word that is for someone else. Not for ourselves, but someone else. But he'll impress it upon us. It's a word in season. It's a word for someone else. And, and how do we know that the word, the word of calling God the possessor, of heaven and earth was just what Abraham needed. Because look at verse 22. When Abraham stood up against the king of Sodom, Abraham repeated the word in season that Melchizedek had planted in his heart, had put in his mouth. He took the very words of Melchizedek and used it to tell the king of Sodom who God was and why he could give up all that he had. Because the God of Abraham was the possessor of heaven and earth. Isn't that just a tremendous word are tremendous what we read there in, in verse 22. When we see Abraham turn from Melchizedek, who had just taught him the wonderful title for God, the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. And we can picture the, picture the whole scene. Just look at it. Picture it very clearly in our minds. We see Abraham. Who is he? He's the one. He is him that is weary from Isaiah 50, verse 4. We see weary Abraham standing with an open heart in front of his friend, Melchizedek. And in Abraham we see ourselves, and we are the him that is weary, from Isaiah 50, verse 4. And in Abraham standing with an open heart in front of his friend Melchizedek, we see our weary selves in our morning quiet times with God. And in our quiet time we stand weary with an open heart before our friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Melchizedek. And then we see Melchizedek, Abraham's friend, planting in Abraham's heart a title for God that Abraham is going to be in need of. God, the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. And then we see Abraham smile with this new title for God in his heart, planted there by Melchizedek. And we see Abraham walking away with his meeting with Melchizedek. And we see Abraham thinking about the new title for God he's just learned. And he's leaving Melchizedek. And we see Abraham fascinated with the new title for God. And he's leaving Melchizedek. And we see Abraham captivated with the new title for God. He's leaving Melchizedek, and we see Abraham enthralled with the new title for God. And then we see, next, we see Abraham encounter the king of Sodom, the enemy of God. And he makes a proposal to Abraham, and Abraham has to answer the enemy of God. But Abraham's weary, and what is Abraham going to say to the enemy of God? He's weary. He's tired. How is he going to respond to the enemy of God? We see something amazing happen. As it says in Mark 13, 11, it happened with Abraham. When Abraham meets the king of Sodom, we see that Abraham just said, without taking any thought, without premeditating, he spoke what was given to him. Because it was not Abraham that spoke. It was the Spirit of God speaking through Abraham. That's a picture of us in our lives. 
We are Abraham. We meet with our friend Melchizedek. God gives us during that time a word from him. It fascinates us. It captivates us. It enthralls us. We think about it. And we walk through our day having no idea. But then all of a sudden a challenge meets us. We're weary. We're tired. And what do we respond with? The words that our friend, our Melchizedek, gave us in the morning. And we think to ourselves, I didn't have to think. I didn't have to premeditate. I just gave what was given to me. In fact, it wasn't even me that was speaking. It was the Holy Spirit. That's the application for us as we look here at Abraham meeting his friend Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Lord, what a friend we have in Jesus. Lord, Melchizedek was a friend to Abraham, and you are our friend. Melchizedek taught Abraham about God, and you teach us about God. Melchizedek strengthened Abraham for his challenge, and you strengthen us for our challenge. We thank you, Lord, for this picture. Help us to not only to know these things, but to take time to meet with our Melchizedek. In Jesus' name, amen. Tom, from our study of this passage, the king of Sodom seemed very self-determined, wanting what was his, yet Melchizedek brought a blessing and an offering. We're not to lean unto our own understanding, so when does self-determination lean to our own understanding? And that's a great question, because we are told that we have a responsibility, but as you said in Proverbs 3, 5, we are also warned that we are not to lean unto our own understanding, because Proverbs says in two places that there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. In other words, there is a way which seems right to our own understanding, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And that right way that seems right to us, it seems right to us that we are good, inherently good. It seems right write to us that we can impress God with our good works. But the end of that way is destruction, and there's no greater destruction than hell. Hell is the greatest destruction. So your question, when does self-determination become leaning to our own understanding? Well, In actuality, we don't lean to our own understanding when we obey God, when we trust God, when we turn to God, when we listen to God. And God gives very specific instruction. He gives guidance for us in Deuteronomy chapter 30 when he spoke through Moses to the Jewish people. And this very, very good verses here because they show us exactly, God says, in essence, God is saying in these verses and many verses in the Bible, I know that your heart is deceitful. I know that your understanding is flawed, so I'm going to help you. And if you turn to me and and let me lead you, you will make the right decisions because I will counsel you, just as he said in Proverbs, where he said, I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also. So in other words, we look to God for for the teaching. Now, here's what it says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 16. Uh, This is God speaking through Moses to the Jewish people. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. So we stop here and we look at this. Here God is saying, I command thee 
In other words, he's saying, this is what I'm commanding you to do. Number one, I'm commanding you to love the Lord thy God. That's the greatest commandment. I'm commanding you to love the Lord thy God, which will blossom out to you walk in his ways, you keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgment. And then he says, that thou mayest live. In other words, God is saying to the Jewish people and to every person, I am for you. I want you to live. Heaven is the place of eternal life. Hell is a place of eternal death. I want you to live, that thou mayest live. If we could only hear, if all people could only hear God saying, I want you to live. I want you to be in heaven. I'm not barring you from heaven. I've swung heaven's door open through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want you to live, to go in there. And then it says, in verse 17, but this is a choice. Let me just back up and just say, verse 16 is a choice. He says, look, I'm commanding you. I'm not forcing you. It doesn't say, and that I force you this day to love the Lord thy God, or that I compel you this day to love the Lord thy God. He's saying, I'm commanding you, but still the choice is left with man. That's self-determination. The choice is left with man. And the proof that the choice is left with man is seen in the next verse, which is verse 17, when it says, but if thine heart turn away, stop. Why would man's heart turn away? Because he's decided to turn away. Because he's, he's said, I'm not going to listen to God. I've heard, I've heard the voice of God commanding me, but you know what? I say, no, I will not have this. I will not have anyone to rule over me. I say, no. So this is what, this is the case that God is covering in verse 17, when he says, but if thine heart turn away, Your heart decides, but if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. So in other words, God is saying, if you decide to turn your own heart away so that you will not hear. Now, why why is it that they will not hear? Because they've like put cotton in their ears and, and stuffed their ears so they won't hear, in other words. And, and so God says, so you have made yourself so that you will not hear. If you're prejudiced, if you close the door, the minute that you hear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you say, that's it, I'm done, forget it. Slam the door, a literal door to my house or slam the door to my heart. And then God says, there's nothing I can do because you will not hear. And then it says, but shall be drawn away. Drawn away from who? Not away from what? Not away from a religion, but drawn away from the person, the person of God, the person of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're drawn away and you worship other gods. Now, we might look at something like that and say, what do you mean worship other gods? Who's worshiping other gods? I'm not a heathen. This is not Af- uh, This is not the tribes of Africa. You know, this is not, I'm not what, what other gods? Well, how about the God of money? How about the God of possessions? How about the God of reputation? How about the God of self? How about the God of the worshiping at the academic shrine? How about the God of bodily pleasures? Those are like other gods. Those are like idols, and to worship those, you worship other gods and serve them. Then God says, if you'd make that choice, then verse 18 says, then God says, I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish. And that's what hell is. It's a place of perish. It says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. And God says, If I denounce it to you, if you take this choice, if you determine self, if you yourself determine that you are going to turn away from God, that's self determination, then he says, You'll surely perish. You will not prolong your days upon the land, whether thou passest over Jordan to possess it. And then he says, I call heaven and earth to re- 
record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. It's almost as if God has said, look, I'm not passive on this matter. He said, first of all, I'm calling all of heaven and earth to record your decision. And when a person comes to you or a person comes to anybody and presents to them, God so loved the world that he gave the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for their sins. Whenever that presentation is made so that whosoever believeth in him, that's the invitation. Whosoever believeth in him, God says, we all want to know, what's your decision? And God says, I so much want to know what's your decision. I'm calling heaven and earth to make a record right now. And so he says, I have set before you life and death. That's what John 3.16 is, the setting of God before man of life and death. He said, this is blessing, this is cursing. And then it's like God steps out of himself and he says, so therefore choose life. God says, can I tell you what you should do? Can I please for one more time, please tell you what you should do? Choose life that thou and thy son may live, in other words, thy seed may live. In other words, God is saying, I want you to live. I'm setting it before you, but the choice is yours. It's your self-determination between life and death and between blessing and cursing. And so he says, but now I'll just step in front and I'll tell you, please choose life that you may live because that's what I want for you, the best for you. I made you. That's the voice of God. Thank you for listening to Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, we have a book to offer you today, The Prophecy and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, 194 of them written by Tom Cantor. It's a powerful book, and if you didn't get everything you wanted for Christmas, order this book today. And we're offering this book, 84 pages, 194 Prophecy and Fulfillments, and we're offering it for a donation of $20 or more to support this ministry. Donation of $20 or more, you'll receive The Prophecy and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. Call us today, one 800 247 3051. Let us know that you want the Prophecy and Fulfillments book and you want to make a donation towards the Friendship with God radio program of $20 or more. 1 800 247 3051. 1 800 247 3051. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening and join us tomorrow.